shorter and shorter and shorter. It's almost <laughs> like we know what we're doing now. Or, or we surrendered. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's go on, just, I guess. At this point, we just throw up our hands and say, all right, let's run. Yeah, we're in give up stroke, man. We're down like eight to one. It's like, hey, if yeah. the ball's going, we can play. If not, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a casino. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And if you hit it big enough there, you don't have to finish out your tournament. Oh, nice. Nice. Too soon? Too I soon. what you did there. No, that was good. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't kill me. Uh, well, what's going on, guys? Mike, I got to see you in Michigan. It was so much fun. It was. I didn't know you could drink that much. You are hammered. <laughs> if I had three drinks the three days that I was there, that would have been a lot. But, uh, <laughs> no, it was, it, was, it was a good event. I mean, it was fun. Um, I've said a million times. I'll say it a million more times. I love when the men pros and the women pros play in the same arena. Uh, I mm -hmm. think that there's just a different energy. I think it energizes the women that all the men are there. I think the men behave a little better that the women are there because they, you know, present themselves so well. Um, I think they interact well, and I think the fans love that dynamic. Uh, so I wish, you know, I, I love that, that, you know, the Predator Series has a couple of these events like that, and I, I wish they would do them all like that. I wish they'd, you know, jump in. I mean, it's a big investment, but, you know, jump in whole hog into into the WPBA tour events and um, and have something tied into all their events because I think it's I think it's great. Uh, and there were you know a ton of amateur players there. The league, the CSI event was huge. I think they had 700, 800 players. There was fifty uh, pool tables, so I, I guess that would kind of yeah, make sense. Yeah. So um, they did a great job with that. The arena was cool. Um, you know, it wasn't perfect, but you know, splitting hairs at this point. Yeah, good event. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know what what uh, what didn't you like about the arena? Just out of curiosity, I hated the floors. I hated the concrete, oh, the concrete? floors, and sure. it wasn't as much for you know. I, I just think aesthetically. Oh, um, absolutely! I, it I didn't. Can, it didn't look when I walked into it. I didn't feel like, um, you know, it was a great setup, and they did the, the the TV arena was nice, and that pro area was kind of sectioned off. But I didn't really get a sense like I was walking into a pro event. Mm -hmm. um, when you first walked in there. And I think just the harshness and the coldness of the concrete floors kind of, that was the, you know, when, when it's like when you, when I walk into a restaurant, I, there's things I immediately notice that are going to give me a, a positive vibe or a negative vibe. You know, when I walked into that, just, you know, into the arena, the first 10 feet, the first thing I noticed was how, you know, the, the concrete floors just looked like, you know, like this was in someone's garage. Um, but um, other well, than that, you, you know, you that's that same, this... well, do you get that same feeling when you walk into, let's say, Turning Stone? Just out of curiosity? I've never walked into Turning Stone. So I can't, okay. you know, and I can't okay. say, and I was not at the U.S. Open last year. So I know they talked about concrete floors there. Uh, was it U.S. Open or World Championship? No, not the where, U.S. Open. The U.S. Open yeah, was where the, the, outline, the outline tables were all under carpet. The U.S. Open? Yeah. The U.S. Open is in a ballroom. I don't know too many ballrooms that have concrete floors. Okay, I thought that maybe it was the World Championships um, that they had that you know those outside tables were up. But anyways, 
Um, so I, and I haven't been so I, I you know in the last couple of years so I don't I don't have, I can't base it off of those at all I just know what ha- what I felt when I walked into Michigan uh, but you know the arena was cool you know it had seating you know upstairs and and uh, seemed like the city really rolled out the red carpet for the the event and the fan and the pool players so that was cool I mean I love when you take over a small city with an event like that. You get a lot of more, you get a little more treatment, a little more, you know, exposure. So, um, yeah, I thought all, all in all, I thought it was a great event. Sure. Uh, Demetrius, I guess, um, describe, uh, I'm trying to think of like the biggest events in the U.S. that are in arenas. And I guess the biggest one that I can think of is Turning Stone. It's actually, I guess, the only one I can really think of. Is, Derby uh, or I don't know. I think, I don't think Derby's in a, is Derby not, in an arena? No, Derby's no, Derby's no, ballroom. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, in terms of arena. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. So Turning Stone, yeah. I mean, they, they cut the carpet this year. That was the big thing is, you know, it was 10 or 12 grand to, you know, get the carpet in. And that was a concession that Zuglin made to keep the thing going. Um, you know, I, I can't, I'm, I'm a very poor person to talk to about this type of stuff. It's kind of like equipment. I, I'm a function person. So as long as the tables all play good, that's like literally all I noticed. Now I, I shouldn't say that. Like I can understand when you walk in, I do notice a couple of details. Like when you have a couple of things I like about turning stone is, you know, and the same thing as the U S open is when you have, uh, you know, a tables with jugs of water and ice water and cups and little towels by the tables and tablecloths over the players area. And just like little, little things that kind of make it feel like, you know, they're making it comfortable places for your cues. You know, it's, you're not just kind of, uh, I, I noticed that stuff, but, but um, yeah, I, I wasn't there, so I can't speak to the, how it presented, but what are your thoughts about that, Nate? Uh, well, I mean, I get it's probably because I helped set up the event in Michigan that I didn't really notice. Because I obviously, when I walk into it, I'm walking into the event before it's even set up. So I guess I'm seeing the progression of it. So it's interesting to me that uh, I guess Mike noticed right away that it's not like that. Because I, I guess it's probably because I, I, you know, I was there setting it up along the way. I saw the progression of it going into it. Um, and you want to talk about what he was talking about. You should have been there, you know, before <laughs> then you get the arena for, you get the arena for what it is, right. You get, you get the arena for exactly, you know, you could literally, you could pull out all the tables that were, you know, freshly up, unloaded off of the semi and the next three hours, you could have an ice, uh, an ice hockey rink in there. Yeah. Cause apparently they do that there too. So they, they play hockey sure. out of there. So, I mean, it's, you, you kind of see that and you're like, okay, well now it's, you know, 36 hours later it's a, it's an entire pool tournament it's i don't know i guess being on the other side of it i, I wasn't really paying attention to the uh the aesthetic yeah, it, of it but it's not not yeah, really trying to it criticize it, it, it's, it's well, it just is what it is right it you're is not, you're not being unfair when i walk in i try to put my mind try to develop the mindset of um if i had coached someone off the streets not a hardcore pool fan. If I had coaxed someone off the streets to come in and watch this professional event that's tied in with this amateur event, what would be, what would likely be their response to me the first ten feet when they walked in? You know, that I try to think about that, and 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 that's kind of where you know where my mind kind of goes. Sure. So now that so now that um, I will say this, I I was at the Michigan Open last year, um, basically playing the same role I played this year. Um, and they predator has come light years. Oh, no and, doubt about and, it. And I, I mean, from what they, from what that happened last year to what happened this year, and obviously their tournament went smoothly last year as well. But 
they are so much more refined into what they're doing. This this tour is only going to be growing and growing and growing. You know, as long as they can find a way to monetize it and make it all worth it, this this tour is going nowhere. And like they're they're getting really good at what they're doing. It, I mean, it's awesome to see. You know, maybe next year, uh, maybe next year they find ways to hang banners or you know car- maybe they're able to to uh uh carpet off the um you know all of the stadium chairs that are just kind of pushed into the wall right and now you have a you, you know you still might have the concrete floors but maybe in the background you you have black uh well, i mean you know it's it's all i mean i, I get it it's, it's it it all costs money it all costs people um you know to to improve event and and, and Predator has continually spent more and brought more people in to help and work and have improved the product immensely over the past year, like you said. So it's all going, it's all going in the right direction. And maybe next year they come into town and say, listen, we we had this kind of economic impact on you guys last year. Throw us some carpet this year or or whatever yeah. or some pipe and drape or something. You know, so it's it's all part of the process and and not downplaying them at all. They're doing a great job and it has improved every step of the way as they've gone along. Um, so, um, you know, it's, and it's, it seems like it's a great city for them to continually go back to. So, uh, I just, you know, hope and guessing next year it'll be even better. Sure. Well, uh, let's actually jump into the event. Um, uh, let's start with the lady side. Uh, Kelly Fisher is your winner again for, I guess, James Walton says that's her sixth gold this year. Uh, Kelly is, I mean, this had pretty much a full field of women i mean minus the the chinese ladies uh this had almost every top women's player in the world of course you can you can point to a few here and there that weren't there but you know this had kelly fisher allison fisher angeli or uh yeah angeline tokolu the jasmine ocean the the current world champion wei su chen uh amelia matas i mean most of the top women in the world at least that travel christina takach and margaret fafalova of course they were all there i mean that was a strong strong field super strong yeah yeah absolutely strong so uh i i guess looking at this field um kelly gets kelly gets the win again and any surprises i mean she she played it looked like she really struggled to me in the beginning of the tournament maybe she was struggling with some jet lag i mean she still has that broken hand uh but by the end of it she was really, she was really informed. I mean, what, what was your takeaways, Mike, being there? No, she was, she played, you know, I think that it was not easy for her all week. I don't think she ever felt like she was really in top stroke and people fear her. She, she had to come from behind a couple of these, sec, you know, win the second set just to get to a tiebreaker, right? So, um, you know, I don't think she ever felt like she was in top form, but you know, that's the thing about Kelly Fisher. I mean, she's, you know, you talk to other players, men and women, she's as tough and is, you know, she can grind with anybody and she's just mentally so tough and so strong uh, that she'll find a way to win matches that a lot of other women just won't win. And I, and to me, that's what she did in, in Michigan. Yeah, she did lose her second match to Margaret Fofolova, and I think – Oh, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think she lost 4-0-4-1 in that match to Margaret. Yeah, it was pretty close to that. It was it was pretty – It was a, beat, it was, it was a bit yeah, of a beatdown. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, I guess she goes over to the B side. Let me see where she ended up uh, playing into. Um, 
And she went on a run of uh, she beat uh, Jerry Ang 2-0. Ang. Yeah. Uh, Christina Schneider 2-0. Christina to catch to get into the final 16, 2-1. And that was a great match. Uh, ended up in a shootout. And then she gets back on to the A side from there. Well, the final 16 beats Silviana Liu. Uh, that's Aloysius Yap's um, girlfriend. Plays excellent pool. Beats Angeline Tokolu, an excellent player as well from Indonesia, 2-0. to zero. Karen Kaur, 2-0. And then Wei Su Chen, 2-1. to one. Yeah. She did, yeah. Uh, Amber Chen, let me see. I, th- I know that she did not make a... She lost to uh, Yasmin Ocean in the final. So what were like the top four? What were the top four? Sure. Uh, Kelly Fisher beats Wei Su Chen two to one in the finals, and then uh, third fourth was taken by Kelly or uh, Karen Core and Allison Fisher. So you want to talk about like a blast from the yeah? Past. That was that was the story of the week for me with the women was yeah. seeing Kelly, uh, Karen, and Allison in the final four. Man, talk about a throwback. Probably my favorite part of this. It's, so if anybody was at Michigan, uh, you kind of saw how the tables were set up. So if, if you're facing from the amateur side, the, the TV arena, if you look to the left, there were three rows of pool tables. And I was standing over by the TV production side of things. And at one point in time, I looked down and the far back table. So there's three rows. So the, the third table down, uh, Kelly Fisher was practicing spot shots. The second table towards me was Allison Fisher doing a drill and the third table or the closest one to me was Karen core just shooting just shooting balls you look down that row just that row of there's probably 40 world titles 200 major titles in pool and it was right there in a line like how amazing how I I don't know why I didn't like get a picture of this because it would have been so magical just to see this line of monsters it's like getting rafael nadal roger federer and novak djokovic like all in a line like that that's that level of dominance for 40 years it's it was fantastic to see it was it was cool karen core's back allison and kelly have been back for a, a year plus now it's just it's just really cool to see that i i agree i i'm really glad that they're playing in these uh you know that we're getting this kind of draw for these types of uh u.s events how does that compare to the same – are we getting the same representation in the WPBA? I mean, I know like Kelly Fisher plays uh, some of those events, but like do we get the same type of fields in the WPBA events as we did in this one? This is this was a WPBA event. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. I thought it was, I didn't know that. I thought I knew it was Predator CSI. So I didn't know that. Partnered. Yeah, so they've partnered. They're, they're, it's a sanctioned WPBA okay, event. So let, so let, okay, so let me, clear, let me ask you clarify. Are all WPBA events partner sanctioned with CSI? Okay, so then – but the uh, let me just say that the other WPBA events right. that are run uh, that aren't partnered with uh, Predator CSI, do those get a similar field with, uh, you know, Karen Core, Allison Fisher, and yeah, then also uh, Pavlova? Yeah, are they all? Was the last one? Uh, was the last gosh. one the Northern Lights? Was that the last one? Um, that wasn't part of this. The Predator. Yeah, might might have been. Might have been. I mean, that had yeah, a lot it, of. The reason I bring it up anyway is because uh, I really like I was talking about people taking the game to the next level. Uh, we were talking about that with uh, with women's professional pool in the U.S. 
Um, I think that Kelly Fisher, uh, I think, well, so when we were talking about Allison Fisher, I mean, I was, I, I was new to pool, you know, a few years in though, when, when Allison Fisher came to the U S and started playing pool competitively and, and really dominating. And I don't think there's any question that she elevated women's pool in the 1990s from what it was in oh. 1989 <laughs> to what it was in yeah. 1999. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that that, I think that Kelly Fisher is helping do that. I mean, I know that there's, like you said, you know, some Ming Chen, some of the Chinese uh, women are phenomenal players but if they're not able to get here it's it's unfortunate but i i think it's great to see women's pool get elevated and it and it because that's it's great and by the way uh yeah there's a comment about savannah easton cast her first wpba event now i'll tell you i've never uh we heard i heard a little bit about her of course uh i watched her hit i i just watched her hit one shot and i clicked on to a video that they somebody linked of a video of her and i clicked into the match a little ways in because i didn't want to watch i didn't have much time i just wanted to see how she shot. I watched her shoot one shot and I was like, okay, she's going to be a top U S woman player in three, four years for sure. Um, because I saw some differences with how she's shooting and I, maybe she's only 11 or 12. I think she's 12 now, but I saw some differences between what she's doing and what the other U S women are doing. And, um, and just that one shot, I'm like, okay. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a believer. I think that women's pool is, is getting tougher. And I think that the, I want to, I just want to see them. Um, I want to see the U S women get really, really good. And I think that having Kelly and Takash and Fefalova and, you know, Allison Fisher, Karen Core, and then having the, you know, the, the new young crew coming up really strong. I, I just think it's really, it bodes really, and then having opportunity with all these tournaments, I think it bodes really well. I'm excited to see where women's pool goes in the U S over the next 10 years. Yeah. I, I sat down with um, Savannah's parents. Well, her dad mostly and had a, I don't know, maybe a chat with them for 20, 30 minutes. Great dude. Her mom, uh, I've chatted with her in the past very briefly. Um, it, she seems like she has a really, really, really good support system behind her. Uh, she's, I'm telling you what, I watched I watched this when I was chatting with her dad. I was just watching her match. She plays shots. She plays pro shots. And I don't mean pro shots like she has this massive stroke or she's able to, like, you know, play expert, you know, expert level shots. She plays her patterns and her safeties the same way a pro would. I don't know who's working with her or if she's working with anybody, but there is somebody that's in her camp that's influencing her game. Cause she, uh, you just don't like, I looked up her Fargo while you were talking there. Her Fargo is technically a five thirty-seven. I think she's probably playing closer to probably closer to like five eighty, maybe 600, uh, from what I saw, but like, but she plays a pro style of game. Like she does not play an amateur game of pool. It's like, Every shot that she plays is the right shot in the right moment. It seems like that's what I. That's how I read she's, it when I was watching. She's so funny. I mean, I don't. She doesn't have a particular coach. Uh, she spends time. You know, a lot of pros have have when they've been in Vegas or when she's been where they've been. They've spent time with her and talked to her. So she's 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 a really smart kid to start with. So she absorbs everything from these other players who give who give her information, right? And she knows how to apply it. And, um, and she really, you know, practices like ridiculous, ridiculous amounts of time. And, and she's so funny with, with, you know, I, I don't know if it's a size thing or, or stroke thing, but for her age and for her level, she tortures people at the same level with her, with her safety play, tortures them. 
I she mean, she throws lockdowns. She, she gets ball in hand so often because when she's playing people of, of a similar uh, skill level, she just she drills them with safeties, just, you know, torches them. And um, I'd like to give a shout out to a couple. This is a little off, so I'm just going to mention the comments of talking about uh, young young boys up and coming. And uh, yeah, we I just want to mention we do have we do have some good stuff going on. So uh, we're sending a few a, a few to the uh, Puerto Rico to the Junior you know International Championships, uh, the world the World Junior International Champ whatever the yeah 18 and under world titles. Anyway. Um, uh, Eddie Vondro from uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. He just actually played another JIC event last weekend and won. He's been doing really, really well. He's the kid that uh, the first time I played him, he had before zero in a race to five and uh, on a nine foot. And so he and I've had a chance to work with him twice for a few days, and that's been great. Um, and then uh, our uh, our uh, Hank the Tank, you know Harry Lennon. Uh, so Harry and Ad are playing very, very well. Now there's others uh, on the on the female side. We've got uh, Kennedy Mayman representing, but I'm talking about young boys now. I wanted to mention Hank and and uh, you know Hank the Tank and Ed Vondrell are playing some very, very strong, very strong pool, and uh, they're both going to the JIC, you know, international championships. Uh, they, we've done a few different fundraisers. I did one with my Minnesota Pool Boot Camp training group. We were able to throw fifteen hundred together to send to them uh, to help help pay some of those travel expenses. So I'm a big believer, and I think that uh, you know Ed has announced two years ago that he was going to be on our Moscone Cup at some point, and he's he's playing well, and he's not playing well for a kid. He's not playing well for a little boy. He's like, no, he's playing good pool, and so yeah, I think that you guys are going to see um, over the next. Four years, we're going to see some really strong young pool. So, okay, I just wanted to mention that comment. So, um, and and I'll let you guys talk about whatever you also want to talk about. But I'd like to hear about the the top finishers on the men's side too, because I have a few comments about that. But anything else you wanted to say about? I, I, yeah, I I definitely have a few more topics I want to talk on the women, but we will. Yeah, we yeah. will, of course. Um, I mean, going into we have three of the top four uh finishers were from the UK. Um, do we have anything? I mean, and they're all. You know, I, I, I former think, players. <laughs> yeah, they are, right? Former players, so their their well, technique is so good. But go ahead. Sure. Well, I was gonna say, do do we have any insight or do we have anything to say about let's say you know, you go back 30 years and these this is the same top three, three of the four. I mean, if you go back 20, I guess probably 20 years, 20, 30 years, whatever it is, this is the same exact final three of the four players. Maybe you throw Jeanette Lee in there too. But the idea is is pool, especially women's pool, in such a great spot? Um, is it in such a great spot that it's pulling these old players back out of retirement, quote unquote retirement? Or do you think it's just you know a one off? What I mean, Mike, you've maybe you have a little bit more insight than we we do. Do you think that this is going to end up being a thing where Kelly, Karen, and uh, Allison are all going to be in all of these events going forward? Will they will they play in all the events or will they dominate like they did here? Uh, pl well, play I guess. I, I, do you yeah. think that this is a trend I don't, for like a small month? No, or do you I, think this is well. Be I a... think I think Allison. I think Allison has definitely felt a little bit of a revival because she's done well. I don't think she expected when she came back not long ago to to have as good a run as she's had. Uh, so I think you know I think you'll see her out there more for sure. Uh, Karen Core, I would not expect. To see a lot, I think this was kind of a, you know, took a flyer, uh, did a lot better than she thought she was going to do. 
Uh, but she's still, you know, she's got a full-time job that keeps her pretty busy, and I don't think she really plays or practices much. I, she did not practice much before she came here. Uh, and the comment they made before about the being snooker players is that, you know, they're so solid with technique and fundamental from from their snooker backgrounds and from their, you know, growing growing up as snooker players, that that's why they can still be playing at this level 25 years later. That's why Karen Core can be missing for three years, walk back into an arena and be equal with pretty much anybody on the table, right? So they're just, you know, th their games are such that they they can play for a long time and they can take some time off and still be competitive. Uh, and but I, I but I get, I, yeah, so I don't think, but I, I'd be really surprised to see if Karen came back much. Uh, she said she didn't practice at all before this. She just basically came in and just started playing. Um, I don't think she really has plans to be at a lot of other tournaments. Allison, I would expect to see for, you know, a, a little while longer. Um, and then we'll see how that holds up when the fields continue to get stronger and stronger with the inclusion of so many more of the international players now. Because uh, that's going to make things a lot harder than Allison than, than six months ago. Sure. My question, you know, you mentioned the snooker backgrounds, and I can't disagree. Uh, I wonder if another contributor, though, is the um, is the uh, the level of competition that they played when they were playing snooker, or or uh, you know, so like when I look at when I look at uh, Kelly Fisher, the first thing I think about is, well, she plays the U.S. Open, she plays you know all the virtual tournaments that they put on, she plays all the the, the match room when they had that like league, you know, the six person brackets, and everybody would escape the flights one by one. Anyway, she plays all these men's events. Uh, you know, Margaret Fafalova is the same. Christina Koch is the same. They play all the open tournaments. They get in the ring. I mean, Christina gambles with you know at U.S. you know male semi pros and plays money matches, and she plays in a bunch of open events. So it seems to be that when people play in in the biggest events against the best talent in the world, they're going to outperform people that only play in WPBA events. Um, I, I just, I think that you acclimate you know, and you rise to the level of your competition. You need that exposure to push you to, to whatever. So I just, I just feel like, uh, you know, I wonder, I don't know much about Allison's uh, and Karen's background as far as the level of competition of who they played against when they were playing snooker uh, overseas. But to me, I just, I think that that's a big common thread. You point out, you know, the striking background, which obviously that's true. They have unbelievable, um, they're just so solid. They're just so solid. Uh, but I also think that, uh, you know, exposure and competition, experience competing against higher level players is always going to yield higher level outputs. That's can't argue yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, uh, Karen core did play the U S open last year too, Mike. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that was, that was uh, yeah, you're right. I, you're right. That was the first time I'd right. ever actually seen her. And actually, I think she got stuck there, if I remember right. I think she got COVID uh, like a day before she left, but that's really, you know, there, I guess. Um, yeah, because yeah, I remember saying, I, I remember making the comment like, welcome back to pool, Karen. Yeah, right, exactly, right. <laughs> Here, let me, let's, okay, anyways. Um, no, I, I mean, I think it's awesome. I, I hope to see more of Karen Core. I hope to see more of, I mean, obviously, we're seeing a ton of Allison and Kelly. I don't know what, I mean, Kelly's obviously a full-time touring professional. I don't. I would have to assume that Allison is as, as well. I don't. I don't actually know a ton about her personally. I, I mean, I've spoken to her several I think times. She's semi-retired. <laughs> okay. She. Uh, every time she sees me, she goes, "Night, Mindham. How are you?" Well, it's better than when she sees me and she says, "Pinocchio." 
Pinocchio. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's good to know that it must be an endearing thing. I, I won't. I won't be so. Uh, you know. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll I'll run with you on that one. Yeah, let's take. It's got to be endearing. Right? <laughs> if, if it if it's for the the lovely Mike Pinocchio Pinozo. Um. No, I think it's awesome. I wanted to cover that, and then I want to I want to cover one more thing. Um. Which, uh, Larry Easton. I'll give you a shout out. That was I. Don't know if we ever actually exchanged names, so I, I guess I apologize. But Larry is, uh, I would is um, Savannah's father, who I chatted with at the event. Great, great guy. Seems to have a really good head on his shoulders, and this, the mom is amazing too. It doesn't surprise me a bit that Savannah is the player that she is becoming because she has that, you know, that that level of support. Uh, I say the same thing about like Sam Henderson. I, you know, Demetrius. I know that you're really big on Hank the Tank, and I'm really big on Sam Henderson. You know, it's pretty. It's actually, you know, I'll even give a shout out to Sam Henderson. It's his 16th birthday today. And I play, I'm playing at about 680 Fargo these days. Uh, give or take, I'm playing pretty about the best pool of my life right now. I think I'm probably playing a little higher than that, but my number hasn't caught up. I have no chance against Sam Henderson. I, I'm to the point now where if we played a race, the 11, I don't know that I'd get to six. I don't know that I'd get to seven. I mean, this, this kid is playing that good and, and he's playing seven, seven, 10, seven, 20. And he's 16 today. I mean, that's it's just incredible. It, it's incredible the the quality of young players that are coming up. And so I want to talk about that because there's a lot of really young women in this field that had pretty good finishes. Uh, Kaylee McIntosh ends up losing to Weisu Chen um, in the final 16. But uh, Kaylee McIntosh is playing so good as well. Uh, of course, we we said Savannah. Um, she had a uh, finish into the. She cashed. I believe she finished one out of the final sixteen. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. She just missed the sixteen. Yeah, and she lost to. Let's see. She lost to Alexandra. Um, yeah, Alexandra. Uh, it's a great player in her own right. I mean, she's a, she's yeah. a great player. Uh, I I mean, I get you look across the the field. It, it would sure it sure would be nice to be able to see April Larson in these things though I will say that it's it's it would be nice to see our all of our younger uh US women being able to play in this I mean, Mike do what what do you what <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm really you know obviously, I, mean, I, I, wanna, I think that yeah, I, I do like the I do like a lot of the younger players who are playing um, and I think it goes to what Demetrius was talking about before. Um, these these younger kids now aren't just sitting around home playing in, you know, uh, VNEA bar leagues in northern Minnesota. They're getting out there. They're getting on the road. They're playing in these pro events. They're getting that type of experience and that seasoning and learning from the people who are better from them. Um, so, yeah, from that standpoint, you know, I love what I see with – the younger boy and younger girl players in the U.S. now. I think that, you know, considering we still don't have any kind of structure to the junior program as far as instruction goes, um, you know, I think that they're doing really good, really well, taking the bull by the horns and, and, and doing it themselves. So if you add a little, you know, proper structure to it, I think that the, the growth would be exponential. Demetrius? Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm happy to see it, Ben. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know Sam Henderson as well. I mean, I met him that one time when at that tournament. Uh, anyway, we don't need to. Uh, but the point is, is yeah, I know who he is. I, I know he's playing really well. Um, what's that? I said you want to go back on tilt? <laughs> well, um, I mean, it was, you know, it was a kind of a 
bad situation that went down and that's okay. You just got to walk away and keep moving. It's not the first, not the last, but uh, it had nothing to do with Sam. Sam is playing great. Um, yeah. I, 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 I just, I don't, I don't know him the way I know uh, Harry and, uh, and I know Ed. And so I'm, I'm and it's not a competition. I mean, I, well, it is when they play each other, but I mean, in, yeah. in for me, it's not, I just, I, I'm just glad to see, um, I'm glad to see U.S. youth working hard because, yeah. you know, to James's point, we haven't seen it to this. We haven't seen it the way we're seeing it now for a while. So, you know, what would make me really happy is 2018 uh, or sorry. Uh, we'll go with uh, <clears throat> 2025, <laughs> three years from now, Hank the Tank and Sam Henderson are two of the three qualifiers with Shane and Billy and Sky are begging for wild card picks because they're they're not going to all these events like everyone else is, and we have a Moscone Cup made of those two fearless players. Well, that's that's and actually it, put, I... it puts it puts all of the U.S. men on check, saying, "Look, you guys can you guys can just be rid of the idea that you can just skate along and get everything handed to you from now on." You wanna if you wanna be on these Moscone Cup spots, you better, you know, you better get into the ring and start battling with some of the best players that we have coming up right now. Cause I know that in three years from now, Sam is gonna be 750, 770, if not higher. Hank, I'm sure, is gonna be up in the low seven hundreds, if not higher. And they're both fearless and they're both playing a ton and they're gonna make some waves. I would love to see them into the ring pushing for these spots. Well, that's what that's the story I think about this tournament is uh so so uh, Mike Page who you know uh, highly you know founder you know I don't I forget his title with uh, with Fargo Ray but anyway he had something to say about the lack of U.S. players and basically I'm just going to read one sentence out of this post he wrote and this was written yesterday last evening he said anytime there should be in my opinion there should be U.S. players. Anytime that the world's best from 10,000 miles away congregate in our backyard. I don't know at what point we start seeing their absence as disrespectful. Um, you know, his, his idea being, you know, he's working hard with Predator CSI. They're adding tons of money. They're putting on these events that are bringing international presence into our, into the U S um, you know, the prize money's large, the, 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 and, and the U S players are not really coming. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, my, my thoughts on that are, um, you know, you pick your battles and, and if those guys don't want to play in, in, you know, two set 10 ball races, that's their prerogative. Uh, one of the things that's hurting these events is, you know, the separation from, you know, if, if your ultimate goals, your Sam Henderson, whoever, and your ultimate goals, Moscone Cup, you know what you're going to do? You're going to play in all of the nine ball events. That's what you're going to play in because that's where you're going to get the points that are going to get you on the team. Okay, playing in Michigan didn't earn anybody points for anything. Okay, and, and that's no knock against Predator or against the event, but I'm just talking about the reality of the situation for these players who are making decisions on where they want to play and where they want to go, you know, with their dreams and hopes and things like that. So, uh, so I think that that comes into play a lot. Do I look at it as disrespectful that Billy, Sky, whoever don't play in the Predator? No, that's their choice. They don't want to play in two sets to four, 10 ball. That's, you know, the money's great. Believe me, if it was a format that they liked, they'd all be in there. So, 
those are, you know, so it's, so it's a decision that the that the pros have to make on their own, and it's a decision that Predator has made on its own based on its marketing philosophy and its business philosophy and how it wants to move forward. So, if those two don't connect, there's going to be some there's going to be some people who aren't there. Yeah, I, I see it. I see it the exact same way. And for me, I'm in a different spot. I'm not a full time player. I uh, this year I've only got to play. It's going to be four major tournaments and uh, or four for me, you know, like bigger events that I fly to. And uh, so I've only got a limited amount of time. So for me to go pick a tournament to where, you know, I feel like it's I I, I understand the statistics about two two races to four being very similar to one race to nine, maybe. But I can tell you my experience is it, it feels like a perpetual hill hill and it you know so the just how it feels is it feels like there's no there's there's never anything you can do to get a lead because it's all you're never safe in a race to four and even if you win and even if you win four zero the first set you're like all you got to do is miss one ball and you're down one or two that next to the next set it's going to go to a shootout so it feels like one hill hill match that a lot of which end in in, in one shot shootouts which is you know it's just not really where i'm going to pick to go with my bullets on a you know if i've only got so many shells i can fire so for me yeah. Yeah. i i just it doesn't quite it doesn't quite make my cut and so i can understand why other players might feel that way um but then of course like you say there's going to be it, it's like the rabbits and the hares right you know like the more rabbits than the i'm sorry the rabbits and the wolves you know the more rabbits you have the more wolves you have and then the population dwindles and the wolves starve and then the rabbits boom it's like there's going to be a balancing of what do you call a saddle point between between the number of players and the amount of prize money. And so I don't know that I don't know many players that are like, yes, 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 this is the way we'd love to compete as races to four. But as the as enough players step away and say, yeah, I'm not that interested in it, well, they're still offering that money. And somebody's gonna be like, well, if none of those guys are doing it, I mean, somebody's got to win the money. Let's go. So there's gonna always be enough representation. I just I find it interesting that the representation is coming internationally more than domestically. Well and, and that I think has a lot to do with you know, the international players come over here, they've got to maximize their time here and their expense to come over here, right? So if they're going to come over here for two months, they're going to play and and, and there's four straight weeks of twenty, you know, $50,000 added and one's eight ball, one's 10 ball, one's one pocket, one's nine ball. They're playing in all four because they're here and, you know, they've spent their money to get here. They're going to be here for two months. They're playing in everything, right? So that's that that feeds these fields to to a large degree um so i mean you'll see that in ohio when a lot of the europeans start coming over here ahead of the uh, uh american 14-1 the international open and the u.s open they're going to come here and they're going to play they're going to play 10 ball before they run into those and because because it makes sense there's a lot of people that can't get into that event it's been full for a while and yeah i don't make it I had, a is huge. I had a conversation with mika and he's like I've played in every single Predator event, every single Predator <laughs> event since they started their tour, and I can't get into this one. And he yeah, was like, well, he was he was upset about it. Like, uh, yeah, I, and like he's like, I've supported this when nobody else would from the beginning. Well, then why didn't he get, get in it. when? Why didn't he get in when well, it was no, announced? No, I, what did he know, What did I, he say? I, no, I'm not. I'm not putting him I on don't the know. spot. I'm just asking. Did he tell you I did, how I he ask. snoozed the entry? Uh, I didn't ask because I've heard from people like Mario. He he's coming over. He wanted to get into it. He wanted to plan it to you. Things like you know things like that. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that the field's full. Um, you know, I, and I, with, if the waiting list is 30, 40 people, you might want to consider expanding the field. I mean, you still have some time, 
You could get uh, but, well. I mean, I know that they see the. I know that they see the tournaments in some sort of way. Maybe it's a cool idea to have thirty-two more spots in, and uh, you know, seed out the first players to get a buy. Well, I think most of the people are staying out because Feder's in Ohio. Uh, is he just? Well, is he just pointed out to us? <laughs> that's fun. Yay, Feder's in Ohio! Woohoo! <laughs> So we know who's going to end up getting second place. Uh, <laughs> just kidding, man. Speaking of Fedor, the, the the I know he's not going to like this, but the, the shootout between him and Chang was absolutely amazing. I believe it finished nine to eight, eight to seven. And it was they went seven. They went seven seven. They went. They each made the first seven, and then uh, uh, Feder missed his, and Chang took a minute and seventeen seconds to shoot the last spot shot. He takes his time on these shots. Yeah, well, he's he was lucky he was that that match was where it was because in the semifinals there was a shot clock on that. Um in fact he was he, he was drove one the, into the rail. Yeah. He will um yeah he was uh was he played against Alo- uh, Aloysius in the, the shootout yeah. and he likes to set the ball down. So he, he like sets the ball down and then he like cues it there to find out exactly where the cue ball needs to be at for his liking. And then he'll move it back and forth. And then once he gets the cue ball where he's is liking is he stands up and then he actually aims the ball. So that usually just the, just the cueing of the, the cue ball to try to find out exactly where he wants it to be. Uh, I mean, that takes sometimes 30 seconds, especially when they were, yeah. they were further back, you know, he was down there, you know, moving the cue ball left and right and left and right to where yeah. he, he could get it to exactly where he wanted. And then he started aiming. Yeah. So, well, he, you know, if you if he's got the time and that's his that's his approach, then that's what he's going to do. But he took he took a good minute pretty much on each one of those shots, um, and it's certainly not a you know a stall technique, a sharking technique, whatever. I mean, it's spot shots. You you, you know you're not. It, well, it, I guess the way is, I see it is is that okay, the guy comes in from out of the country to play this event. You know, it's it's basically it's almost like he's flying in. It, it, you gotta, you know, I, I know you guys know this, but I'm just thinking about like the perspective of it. It's like he's flying in to fight through t- tough matches against international players to get to a, the contention to win a major tournament, and the and, and and the format of that of that competition is not being able to make a single mistake on these spot yeah. shots. Yeah. So for the guy to take a minute to shoot it, it's like, well, he he came, he he traveled thousands of miles to shoot that shot. Like I understand why he might take a minute. Uh, you know, it, it would be different if. You know, if the format was a little different, you know, but it's like you can't replace a tiebreaker set, you know, that's a race to five tiebreaker set with one shot, you know, uh, and expect a guy. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's, you, you guys get it, but I just, for sure, it's, it's totally reasonable in my opinion. Take, take the time you need. And then if they have a yeah. shot clock, then they have a shot clock. But yeah. by the way, there's no shot clock at the US Open. I've been practicing with a shot clock. I've had my daughter timing stuff out, calling 10 seconds aggressively every time I hit 10 seconds. Like she's been helping me for, I've played like four practice sets in the last week and a half, getting ready for the shot clock. And then I just found out yesterday, no shot clock. So anyway, that's fine. No beep, shot clock until beep, what point in the event? Beep. Until you make the final 16. So now maybe if I make the no, final 16, I mean, there you go. You're I'll be ready. That's what you're prepping for. That's right. I'm So I'm, I can handle the shot clock. Now I just have to find a way to get past better. So. <laughs> well, he's going to be in Ohio. So, yeah. so you shouldn't have to worry about it. He'll be in Ohio. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but okay. So uh, the top finishers. So Aloysius Yap, uh, read out the top finishers for the men. 
Yeah. So, uh, well, let me let me finish out the women's quick because yeah. I only gave the top four. Um, uh, let's see here. We had uh, Margaret Fafalova and Angeline Tokolu and Yasmin Ocean and Amelia Matas were the fifth through eighth. So, a super stacked field. Um, yeah. I guess going back through nine through sixteenth, Kim Newson, Kaylee McIntosh, a couple of Americans there. Awesome to see. Uh, Chen, the uh, world champion. Uh, Alexandria, Carly, uh, Carlin Pau, Sylvia Liu, uh, Kyoko Son, and Christina's Lateva. So great tournament for them. Let's move on to the men, where we had Aloysius Yep beating uh, Robbie Capito two to zero in the finals. No shootout needed. Uh, Vitali Patsura and Cheng Jung Lin got third, fourth. So Great tournament for uh, Vitaly. He's really starting to hit his stride at the right time. He might be a dark horse to make a, a real deep run at the U.S. Open. Hoven Bustamante, Mika Eminen, Jason Shaw, and Fedor Gorst get fifth through eighth. Pretty stacked there. And then I go, go back to <laughs> the 16. Uh, Bader Aldawadi, uh, Jeremy Seaman, Sharik Sayad, John Mora, uh, Kang Lee, Wukun Lin, uh Chen and Pius Labudis. Those so are Jer- your was Jeremy Seaman the only US player in the top 16 and he took 9th through 16th. That was well, early. Hoven Hov Bustamante technically has an American flag by his name, but oh all right. Um, there and we then go. what about Kang Lee? And then Kang Lee's from New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't know that. Sorry, guys. Yeah, he had yeah, a great time from New York. He had a good great time. Kang Lee's been making the final 16 a lot now. Yeah, shot really well. Tougher uh, man, those things are tough. Tough format, a lot of pressure, tough conditions, tough yeah. op- opposition. I mean, it's those things. Yeah, it's uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to, to cash. I mean, the fact that Jason and, and, and Fedor are in fifth through eighth, um, like those are, you know what I mean? I think that says it all. The fact that, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, Chang, yeah, Chang beat. Uh, yeah, Chang beat. Um, Chang beat uh, Fedor. You want to talk about a, a tough road to the final. Aloysius Yap had to go through. I mean, obviously every player in this is good, but he beats John Mora, Jason Shaw, Chang Jung Lin to get to the finals. You want to talk about, like, the dude is playing. The dude is playing good at that point. It'll yeah. be fun. Uh, I look forward to seeing him. He made, he made the finals of the U.S. Open last year. I look forward to seeing him play again this year. Uh, it'll be, well, he, he's won, definitely, he won this event last year, yeah, too. So this the, was yeah, a yeah, for him champion. in Michigan. Um and uh, and yeah, he hit he hit his stride right at the right time because he said he had not played well, he had struggled a lot through the whole week, and then that last day, um, you know, he, he just from the morning match against Jason Shaw, he was just in in a in a groove. Mm-hmm. And it's it's awesome. I mean, Aloysius really is a gem for the the pool community. He is such a fierce competitor, but he is such a good person. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he's such a, he's such a personable person off the, uh, so somebody came up to me and I was kind of joking around with him and he, he came up to me. He's like, um, Aloysius is like my favorite player. Do you think you could introduce me to him? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I can try, but he really doesn't, he's really grumpy. He doesn't really like people that much. He's, you know, I might, but he might, he might yell at you. Like, just tell him to leave you alone. And the guy's like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't. Then I'm like, I, we can try it. Let's go. 
So I take him over to Aloysius and say, he wants to meet you. Aloysius is like, oh, hi, how's it going? He shakes his hand, finds his case for him. He's like all happy to meet him. He's like, of course, I'm messing around. But um, yeah, Aloysius is just happy. I don't think he handles uh, his his stardom very well. I think he's pretty awkward about it. He doesn't really know how to handle it. He just assumes, you know. It's, he's a, it's a great saying. A guy, yeah. So um, I don't know. I guess uh, – uh, Demetrius, do you have any do you have any takeaways from this? From no, I think that's I think that says it all. Uh, great, great tournament. I think it's interesting that you know it'll be interesting to see how it develops. Predators doing their thing. It's it's going well for them. Uh, the players uh, enough players like it to where it's going strong. Uh, Match rooms doing well with what they're doing. It's strange. I kind of feel like uh, I kind of feel like there's been years in pools history where there's been like two different, you know, two different organizations trying to run this a world championship and bickering over which is which I maybe Mike could speak to that more. But anyway, just it's, it's interesting to see it develop because I get to understand where the players might be like, well, which is the pro tour? Do we have a pro tour? Which one is it? And so some players are like, you know, the pro tour is matchroom. That's matchroom is pro pool. That's that's the pro tour. Other players are like, you know, Ben Franklin is the pro tour. We're going to go get paid. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, well, I think there's going to be – I don't know. All right, Greg Hogue, shout out to you. Hopefully you got back all right. Uh, <laughs> you had uh, some tough stuff happen to you on the way out there, so hopefully you're doing all right. And just want to give a shout out to you since you're in the uh, the um, yeah. chat out there. And he's got a challenge match coming up. I wish you luck, Greg. <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, I guess um, – there's, I mean, at some point in time, there's going to be a some sort of power struggle for the pre, you know, the between match. You know what the they should do. You know what they should do, Nate. They should have the the president. You know, what's that? I'm sorry, the president of uh, Predator's name is what again? Karim. Karim. Uh, Karim. They need to have Karim and Emily Frazier. They should just get together and do a, a shootout. First one to miss has to back out of the pool. <laughs> no, it should be the first one to make one because that could be a while. <laughs> uh, I mean, just to turn the tables. I think Karim actually used to play a little bit. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, he loved yeah, yeah. pool growing up. I'm just having fun. <laughs> yeah. no, um, Emily might Emily might be drawn dead though. <laughs> it could be. Who knows? Could be. She has a pool table, and uh, I think her parents have a, a pool table at their place. So you know, maybe she's practicing more than we know, and she's going to be entering one of these uh, events pretty soon and snapping it off. Who knows? Yeah, as far as you know, your comment on on a pro tour, um, there is. I mean, there isn't really a pro tour unless there is a a pro tour organization, right? Matchroom cannot be a pro tour. Predator cannot be a pro tour unless they have you know members who are exclusive to their events, and they call it the Matchroom Pro Nine Ball Tour, and and so and so is playing in the Predator Pro Ten Ball Tour, and it could get to that point. Well, Mike, you, how you real know, do you want to make this conversation? Hey, go anywhere you want to go. With the bad blood that's going on between them right now, how long do you think would it would it be a surprise to you at the end of the year if one of these organizations sets up a contract where it says if you want to play in our events, you're exclusive to our events? Would that surprise you? Would it surprise me? Um, I want to say yes because. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but what the hell? It would only come from one side. Sure. And and I think that's a bad look. So, um, you know, 
players. Maybe not next year. Neither one of these tournaments, as long as they're not on top of each other, neither one of these tours structures, neither one of these tournament structures are losing players to the other. Right. Well, let's so let's look as long as it's that ago. way, and the and the major beneficiary of all this money is the players. Do you want to be the one to put a halt to that? And can you do that unless you're going to guarantee those players you signed exclusive to exclusivity a proper amount of money, win or lose, through the course of the year? Now, if you can do that, different story. I don't think anybody's in that position yet. Well, the PGA Tour never did that, and that's why they're losing players to live, right? Yeah, yeah. But, I, I mean, let's look back three years ago. When we look back three years ago, Matchroom had um, three years ago, maybe it might be when they acquired the U.S. Open. I'm not totally sure. But let's let's go yeah. back to whenever they didn't have the U.S. Open. Yeah. Um, they didn't have – maybe the year before that, they acquired the World Pool Championships too. So, you know, they were they were basically using the right. World Cup of Pool, the US World Open Pool Masters. First, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you're right there. So, yeah. Before the U.S. Open, they had the World Pool Masters, the World Cup of Pool, and the Moscone Cup. Those three events. That's it. Yeah. Since then, they've added the U.S. Open. That's not a real. That's not a new event, of course. The World Pool Championships again. That's not a new event, of course. But they've added to their event the U.K. Open, the European Open, and the Premier League Pool, or whatever they're calling it these days. Yeah. Uh, they're adding events to the, the to the calendar, yeah. and so the rumor has business it, philosophy. Rumor has it they're they're working on more events. So let's yeah. say they now have, you know, they have what eight eight tournaments on their calendar right now. Who's to say they aren't going to add, let's say, two Listen, more I'm in the all, next four I'm all years? For it. I'm all for it, and I think the players are too. What I what I would hope that happens, and and we talk about this, um, you know, head to head, you know, conflict between these two companies, whatever. I think the best thing pool's got going for it is that that they're uh, disparate business plans and and games, right? Predator's got this business plan and this marketing structure and branding for whatever, and they're playing this ten ball these ten ball formats because this is the way they want to go. And Matchroom's got this, so so there's kind of almost a coexistence already just by not playing the same games. You know, to me, the only thing that screws all this up is if uh, the calendar starts getting competitive well, that, that, to the point of I'm going to stand on, I'm going to put mine on top of your event. Now, there's certainly an opportunity for someone, maybe the new president of the WPA, whoever, <laughs> to sit down in a room with Karim and Emily or whoever and say, listen, Let's coexist. Let's figure out how this works. If if you have these events at this time of year in Europe and Predator runs its events this time of year in Europe, then players can stay in Europe for six weeks and play in four events and they make all this money. And then we go. So it could be as simple as that. Right. Um, or or it could be a, you know, one wants to kill the other. And that would be bad for everybody. And and so, um, you know, I want to I want to believe that there's some way and some people who can keep that from happening, for the betterment of the sport overall. Do you think that WPA has a backbone for it? Um, I like to think with new leadership that that would be the best way to show it. Um, I think that 
Ishan is is a pretty sharp guy, uh, younger guy, clear thinker. Um, you know, uh, quite honestly, I think the less he calls the old administration and asks them for advice, the better off he's going to be. So, um, you know, have at it. Uh, you know, I think that if you want to, if you want to show some teeth, and you want to show your role in the sport, and you want to show your value, then you do something like that, or at least you try to do something like that, and you make it very visible. And if it doesn't happen, you're not thrown under the bus. Demetrius, any thoughts? No, no. I, I, I when it comes to organization of pool, I'm just, I'm not the right guy. I. I, I defer to Mike. You know, you've seen you've seen a number of attempts work and fail, and you know you know what it takes to have something kind of come together. And I I trust your judgment. So yeah, well, trusting my judgment would be a bad move, but but I've got I've got some some history, so it's, it's uh... I yeah I mean I don't know I I think as my my point that I was getting to earlier though is like. Uh, Matchroom has added four events to their calendar, or three events to the, I guess, if you want to count the U.S. Open and the um, World Pool Championship. They've added five events to their schedule with rumors that they're yeah. adding a few more. And I know the Predator didn't exist three years ago, two years ago, basically, two calendar years ago. They basically, they, they didn't exist at all. And now they have well, close to 16 or 17 events throughout the calendar year, something like that. I mean... Yeah, it's, it's only a matter fast. of time before yeah. they start. They're both they're both expanding out, and there's only a matter of time. I mean, Predators added basically 16 events to a calendar that didn't exist two years ago. So how many are they going to have in three years from now? I know they're trying to piggyback off all the CSI events, the amateur events. So, you know, is it going to be a big surprise if every single CSI event has one of them? Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's going to be clashes as long as they're in different parts of the world. Um, I think that that's almost acceptable, and I think that's what people are expecting would happen. Um, and I think, you know, I, even the WPA get, when I've talked to them, they said, listen, you know, we can't, we can't do the calendar date protection that everybody wants because it's just not feasible. But what we try to do is keep two events from being in the U S on top of each other at the same time. Right. So if there's a, uh, a, a matchroom event in Europe and there's a predator event in the U S there's a lot of U S players who aren't going to go to the European event. Right. So they can play in the U.S. They still have a big money tournament to play in and vice versa. So, um, you know, that's, I think, where you can find some 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 common ground to where you can have, um, you know, you can each have 12, 13 tournament calendar years and 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 still both get what you want out of those events as a as a production company, a marketing company like Matrum or as a as a brand company like Predator. So there's, you know, there, there's ways to do it. It just takes um, some kind of mediation and some level heads uh, and, because just having yeah. the two companies try to sit together and work it out, not going to happen, right? So there's got to be some, I don't even know that it's mendable now. But I, it's not, I was it's just not mendable, say, they have it's just coexist. They have, they have done a good job coexisting. I was going to say, it's, and it's a good thing because if they started overlapping, that wouldn't be good because then the top U.S. players wouldn't know which tournament they didn't want to play. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I was That's waiting good. for that one. I had to word it in. That's pretty funny. Uh, no, I mean, I guess so far they've only had one overlap. And I know that that overlap ruffled some feathers. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're looking for reasons to be mad at each other, apparently, at this point anyways. But uh, that gave them one. Was it the World Cup of Pool and the, the German Open? 
something like that. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it was there were a couple. Yeah, no. but it's you know, it 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 could be worse. It could have been worse. It just you know, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where they go from here. No one wants to end up looking like the bad guy, for one. Yeah. Um, and and you know, you could try to add as many more events as you want. At some point, it becomes you know these are businesses they got to make money right so you know how much can matchroom spend on new events that don't generate a ton of income or new sponsors how many more events can predator run to develop their brand and and that type of thing so um you know i think well, well i think we'll find out where it is in the next year or so it certainly seems easier for predator to do this than matchroom seeing as predators building a brand you know obviously every predator event uh, event that they run seems to elevate their brand a little bit more. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, but also, you know, Matchroom has the backing of a billion dollar corporation behind them. So it's hard to, yeah. hard to tell. It has happened very fast though. You reminded me, I mean, only 10 years ago, we were still having the seven old 10 ball events and Matchroom and Predator events were both, you know, either non-existent or just not, not at all like they are today. So uh, it has been happening very fast, so it'll be fun. We'll, we'll, it's happening in real time. It's a, this is uh, and it's and it's both are doing well, so that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. So good. Greg Hogue really wants these events in the U.S. I don't think the U.S. is worth these events. Why would why would they want to bring something like that to the U.S. where the the U.S. players don't support it? Right. Everybody you, wants to run their events in the U.S. Though the U.S. is where it's where the players go. push comes sure. to shove. U.S. is where the money is always. Always going to be sure, but it's but it's but the from a marketing standpoint, from a from a tournament standpoint, from a player's standpoint, it's it is where you want to be. If they're going to add, you know, a Euro Tour gets two hundred players, uh, two hundred great, great, great players that show up and play this. Uh, if you are, and they're charged, you know, they're they're fighting it out for five thousand euros. Like if and you put that same, you just answered you, your own question. Well, if you put that same event into the U.S. One, they're not going to get, they wouldn't get 50 U.S. players. If you remove the European players, so Americans do not go to any Euro tours and they haven't for years and years and years. So, (laughs) well, of course. But the idea is like, you're going to have that Euro tour over there and it's going to get 200 of some of the best players in Europe. You're going to run the same event in the U.S. They're going to get 32 players and 18 of them are going to be complete dead money under 500 Fargo. Why would you bring an event like that to the U.S. If, if we can't even get the right, if we can't even get the top players in the U.S. to play in our events now, why would we bring more events that aren't going to fill? The Europeans it, are the ones that are filling all of our events. Well, and that's fine as long as you have a stacked field of good turn of good players. Who cares what country they come from? And you if know you what? Stage they in the US and they're all Europeans. It's still a great pro tournament. And so, if you're, you know, what's your end game if you're the promoter of the tournament? It's to have a great tournament with the best players in the world. And if there, are, if there's not many of them that are in the U.S. Doesn't mean you don't stage a tournament in the U.S. I mean, it's it's on TV. It's being viewed around the world. They don't care what country it's in. They just want to see the best players playing the game. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention. I mean, I go, there's a reason I go to Derby and both Turning Stones. Those events are run really well. They are always full fields. We have plenty of U.S. representation in those events, and uh, you know, that's it. So, I, I just I don't know. I think it's anyway. Yeah. And responding to Greg, is- responding to Greg, you know, it just 
I do care what country. I want more U.S. players to be playing, and we should push them to play, and I'd like to see them step up their game and play in all these events and, and get better. But I'm speaking, speaking strictly from a, a you know the, the producer of events standpoint. If I'm putting big money into an international nine-ball tournament, where it is doesn't matter. The, the, the quality of the field is what matters, and the product that I produce for television is what matters. So you know, that's that's where I was kind of coming from with that. I, I guess my broad point with that is, sure, we might end up getting the same. So if you, if you run an event in like the European Open and you run an event like that in the U.S., what I'm saying is, sure, the, the top the top players are going to be the same, right? Even even into like the, the probably the top quarter of the field is going to be the same. What I'm saying is the next 75 percent of the field, uh, if you run it in Europe, is going to have a lot of really phenomenal players who can make deep runs. Uh, you know how many how many times do you see a Polish player in one of these finals that you've never seen before in your entire life, and you probably will never end up seeing their name again, make a deep run into one of these uh, into one of these Euro Tour finals, and you have players like me uh, filling out the rest of the field in the U.S. who can't win a who who can't win a game. I mean th- that's that's my point is there, there, you're not getting the best competition. You're, you're getting the same quarter of the top players. What you're not getting is those really really good players who aren't elite top tier filling out the rest of the tournament the u.s you're going to get a bunch of 500 fargo ball bangers you're not getting the best players in the field but you're, you're still getting the final quarter i guess i guess i know i'm not seeing i mean you know i would like the best quality field all the way through too i would like i would like that you have to qualify to be in 128 or 64 with a certain level of play or a certain number of points or whatever but we're not there yet so um you know when i get down to it it's it's I don't really care, um, and I don't really follow who finishes from 65 to 96 and from 97 to 128. So it doesn't matter to me what country they were from or, to a certain extent, how good they were. I mean, you know, I don't know who didn't make the cut in a PGA tournament or how good the rest of that field was. Don't care. I want to see the top. I'm watching this to watch the top players play pool. Do I want to see someone new come through? Uh, every once in a while, yeah, sure. But you know, I want to see Shane, and I want to see Feder, and I want to see Filler, and I want to see Conrad, and I want to. See, these are the guys I want to see. These are the best players in the world. I'm, I think, not, watching, I think I'm not watching the 128 guy that much. Anyways. Yeah, but I, I think you're looking at this way too narrowly. So, right. So, at the end of the day, like we're looking at an <laughs> event from event. Well, we got to look at this as like a farm system, right? At the end of the day, like. There's yeah. no, there's no way that a 500 level Fargo player that's 300 or th- that's 30 years old is ever going to be in that top tier of category. But if you give an opportunity to a 20 year old from Europe who already plays at 715 Fargo, which there's a trillion of those players seemingly, you're creating a farm system. So sure, they're not in the top quarter, and you don't want to see them right now. But that doesn't mean that 20 year old who's a 720 Fargo now yeah. isn't going Agreed. to be the Fedor of the future. You just got to have a chance, right? What I'm saying is you're creating that farm system. There's got to be that. Yeah, I'd love to see a farm system created in the U.S. What I'm saying is the Europeans use it. The the U.S. doesn't. Yeah, they do. I mean, I've often questioned why, but they do. (laughs) Yeah, they they seem to be using it now. This generation that's coming up right now doesn't seem to be afraid to play all of the time. In anything. Yeah. Agree with that too. But the last generation did seem to be that way. And that's why you don't, I, I, I think that's why we don't see any of those players playing in these events now. 
the the 20 you know the let's say let's say 30 to 40 40 really 30 to 40 name me one player that plays consistently from the previous generation besides Shane you know there's a lot of players in there that they just never played yeah, like just, I always I say, in, input equals output. You know, people that the more you play and the better the players you play, it's again and again and again. It's just it's it's people are really you know I mean, people get excited about output. You know, like like when we were talking about Sam Henderson, you know, we're t- really excited about how well he's playing for his age or his Fargo or his performance. And that's all great. But then if you were to ask like, what's he putting in? How much <laughs> is he playing? How many matches? How how often does he get to play better players? How often is he competing? How much work is he putting in? Like the answers, I don't. I don't know the answers directly from observation because I don't know them, but I know the answers indirectly because of his output. And so it's like, obviously he's playing against better players quite frequently. And he's not, he's not only playing junior events against weaker kids. He's playing against, you know, he's probably playing in tournaments that have, you know, top level competition here and there. He's playing against better players as often as he can. He's probably hungry to take on the best players he could find. So it's just, I would guess, right? No. Is he just playing in his home? Anyway, it doesn't matter. My are you, ask, are input, you asking me? No, no, I, it doesn't matter. Input equals output. So the bottom line is, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and that's one thing that I get really excited about with Sam, with Harry, with all these young players, is that they're putting in more. You know, the, they don't. we don't have a, a grooming bench like you were talking about with like the the, the, the queue of – but we have the Junior International Championships now. Rahanna, they've been doing a great job. It's been a year and a half now. Uh, that's been going really well. And and these junior players are, are have opportunities to compete in many of these types of events as well if they want to. So bottom line is, um, yeah, it's 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 changing, man. I feel like we're going to – it may not look the same as it does in Europe, but I, I do feel like we're going to have – we have a bunch of players that's coming up. Um, and then when it when it happens in five, three to five years, everybody's going to be like, oh, it's so – yeah, it's so obvious, of course. But um, but uh, it's happening now. The input is – you know, the, the I think there was a quote that says, you don't become a champion when you achieve the results that a champion achieves, you become a champion the minute you commit to doing what it takes to getting there, because that commitment is something that only a champion makes. And like, I've seen some players from today that are making that commitment over the last year or two, they've made that commitment already. So now it's like, I, you know, I used to tell people I manage this. It takes about 30 days to get to the top, 10 seconds to make the commitment to get there. And then 30 days for the results to follow. And it's like pool, maybe it's three years, but the commitment's been made. So, sure. yeah, and I, I I see a lot of commitment from younger uh, U.S. players, and that's what we need. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, I think we need more structure on top of that as well from a training standpoint. Um, you know, to be able to accelerate to that European level, uh, because you know, like like Greg said, you know, they train in Europe. Well, Here, so I in America yeah. they don't train; they go play. Well, just uh, so just you know, I, I'm opening up. Dynamic. So I, I am a full-time pool coach. For anybody that's listening that doesn't know, I've been running these, you know, three-day pool boot camps for serious players. Uh, I am opening up a uh, club. Uh, you know, we're looking at March one, and in that club, it's going to be, you know, private members, but it's also going to be. I'm going to run a training program out of there. I'll be bringing in, you know, doing some different things. I'm not going to hear now's not the time and place for me to go into my training program. Uh, but I do, I do have a chance to work with Ed and, and Harry. I do, um, I do see a possibility of, uh, of putting, putting something in place to not just reach into my local community, but either to bring the players in or through, you know, anyway, I've got my ideas. So I'm, I'm hungry. I'm excited. If people want, when people talk about training pool, I get excited because that's what I like to do. So. 
there's always a chance. So thanks, Greg. Sure. <laughs> so funny. I love I like the comments, that. man. The comments are better than the show. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, that doesn't take a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we only do this for the comments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Okay, well, uh, let's move on from the Predator event. Uh, I guess we can talk briefly about um, Fedor and Carlo. Um, I mean, uh, Mike, you were on the show for it, right? It was just me and you last time we yeah. were talking about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it went I mean, pretty much as we expected. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I kind of said on there, I th what was the final score? 120 to 86? Yeah, yeah. That, we were both, right? We were both. you know, is there any shot of him getting to 100? We yeah, both pretty I, much I, said no. Yeah, I, I thought I'd, I thought I'd be pretty. I think I, if I remember, I said I'd be really surprised if he ended up getting to a hundred. I just don't. I just don't see. It. I mean, Carlo. It just shows where, where. I mean, Carlo Beato. You can't make a top ten of the best pool players in the world probably without having his his name be on it. And both of us are thinking, why so is no he shot in this match? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just. I mean, it's just Fedor is just a different player. I mean, it's just it's nuts. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, people are always saying now Shane and I want to see Shane and Fedor. Shane and Fedor, come on, let's get Shane and Fedor. Uh, I don't, I don't. Do you think Shane can win? I don't. I don't know that anybody in the world can win right now, except for maybe Josh. What game? I suppose, yeah, right. Um, Matchroom nine ball. Matchroom yeah, nine ball. I, the, I think that's the game. You know that. Um, but even playing 10 ball, you know, I mean, Shane's got a great break. Uh, that's, that's an understatement, but yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a difference in striking. I mean, Fedor is hungry and he's in top form and he's just making so few errors. I think that, uh, what was the match I was thinking of though, where there was a top Filipino player that played like a top, uh, you know, technical, like there was a kind of a, the gambler spirit heart player versus like the technically sound, you know, champion. And I've seen it where, you know, the players that have, you know, the gamble, who was it that like they got way behind and they kind of ground back and just put a bunch of heat on their opponent, snuck a win out. Like, I mean, we've, we've seen that story before. Right. But the problem is that for a Filipino champion with a lot of heart who plays great to like heart, their way back into the match. That strategy kind of hinges on the player you're playing against showing a little humanity and getting a little jittery and experience of money matches, maybe just getting weak at moments or wondering how come my opponent's not showing any signs of defeat. It, you're, that In order for you to like out heart somebody, you kind of have to count on your opponent wobbling at some point to let let you get kind of like Dennis almost, you know, has come back on Shane a few times and Alex used to a long time ago. And, you know, when people kind of like wait up and, you know, kind of see, yeah, are, are you going to catch up with me? If people hesitate at the finish line, these Filipino guys will come back and tear your heart out. The problem with Fedor is I don't think he opens up that door. I, I don't think there's no room for heart. There's no room for comebacks because the guy just plays so technically correct and so, you know, tr transcendent. I just don't think there's really room for, there's just no room for counterplay. He's playing almost perfect. Yeah, no, no argument. He's playing great. Uh, I mean, I guess, is there anything else we need to talk about for this? I, I, I didn't watch too much of it, but after I kind of saw the writing on the wall, I <laughs> decided that uh, I, I wasn't going to motivate, or I wasn't going to be motivated to watch the end of it if I already knew what the outcome was. I mean, that's kind of the yeah. sweat of the match, right? Yeah. Um, anyone got any closing thoughts on it? 
No, let me just respond. I've got to respond to a couple of questions in the comments real quick. So on the uh, the training camp, yes, and I don't know. Um, I can't speak to the Red Door Den training. I'm glad other people, there's plenty of opportunity for better pool. Um, one thing, I, so there's a question about if I'm in the PBIA, I'm assuming that's like a pro billiards association for teachers or something. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I don't I don't do the same thing. I'm a rogue. I looked at what was out there. I didn't like it. I said, I think I've got a way I want to do it. I'm going to do it the way I think it ought to be done. And then there was a question about virtual training. No, I don't really enjoy it. Uh, I've done it a few times by Zoom. I feel like it's like shouting into a screen and squinting at things. And you, it, you can't, it's not the same. And one of the things that I'm a big believer in is when I'm with my students, I mean, they fly in, right? So it's, it's not virtual, but I've had people from all over. I mean, Bahamas and Canada, whatever. So when they fly in, you know, because it's three days, so it doesn't really matter location. And when we get side by side on the table, one of the best parts is it's not me telling somebody what to do and then them trying to figure it out. Like they can try it and then I can try it. Then they can try it and I can say, no, watch this. And they, they hear the different sounds or they see the reaction or I can. It's just so different side by side and then side by side with somebody that can do it at a fairly reasonably high level. And and that's that's not just how we hit shots. It's about how we where we're hitting our targets with our cue ball, how we're reading the racks and what questions we're asking and just side by side, what you know whether it's knowledge and technique or whether it's, you know, strategy and patterns or whether it's cue ball and just, I just have them doing it until these different parts that I've identified in their game that need to improve, start looking like I want it to look and, and they're doing it side by side with me and just sponging it up and changing in front of me. So that's, that's, I'm a big believer uh, for me anyway, that's where I shine is one-on-one -on -one, side by side with people. Um, now next year, I'm going to be doing a little bit, some small groups here and there, but mostly, um, and then, but there is an opportunity when we get this club going and I'm doing some stuff that there may be a possibility, like I've mentioned in the past, to where I might have certain stuff that's, you know, I can stream certain things or at least share it to where if people want to log in and trade along with us or different things, there might be an opportunity to do that um, in, in a different way. But that's not phase one. Uh, I don't have an RV room, but I, if you wanted to contact me offline, Justin, we can, we can figure something out, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a place for people to come in and park somewhere. Um, but anyway, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there might there might even be a time, you know, where I would love to be able to get together, you know, a handful of junior players and, and find a way to bring them together and uh, do some kind of group training with a, you know, with our future of our country. I'd love to be able to do that once or twice a year. And, you know, when people spend, you know, 10 to 20 grand a year training and traveling around and competing, I just feel like for them not to put in 10 percent of that into training, 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 you know, organized training. I think that's pretty important. So and yeah, you know, there are OK, there's. Nate, there's things you can learn online. Fine. Other people could do it. I'm just telling you, I don't like it. I'm shouting into a screen. I found boundary. I don't like it. If you want to do it, you can do it. I'm not mad. I'm just telling you, I'm not, not interested. It's not a, it has to be quality. It has to be fun. It has to be something. Look at me. I'm passionate. I'm excited. Like this is what I do. And when I do online training, I don't get this way. So I, I only do the stuff that makes me feel this way. Otherwise it's no good to anybody. Good. Yep. Okay, uh, we can close out the podcast. I guess we can talk briefly about uh, Shane and Dennis. Uh, Shane goes to the Philippines and plays a bunch of challenge matches. Plays, uh, I think, in total three matches. Plays Johan Chua. Uh, Dennis Arcoyo was the final one, and there was someone in between there that I didn't actually know who uh, he was. The first one was um, um, Chua no, was not second. Johan Chua. Oh, no, Chua, Chua was second. Was second. Uh, so then he plays four total matches, I think? No, three. Uh, someone okay, Chua yeah. and then Dennis. 
Uh, okay, I didn't way, know the first guy. He, he, he blasted through the first two. Yeah, um, and then was blasting through Dennis. And then, of course, the, the stereotypical Shane <laughs> folding happens against Dennis. And Jericho comes back Barnes. Full yeah. Match. yeah, Jericho Barnes, yep. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, Shane ends up winning this time on the hill, 75-74. Yeah, I think um, Dennis broke dry on the hill. Oh, yeah. That... I will. I'll jump in. So Shane is a beast. Obviously, he went down to the Philippines. He's winning all these matches and he's playing great. Um, you know, for those, some people might have tuned in that might not have really followed the past. So Shane has played Dennis. The last two big buddy match challenge matches he played with Dennis. Shane in both sets didn't. It wasn't. I know for sure one set he had a monster monster lead, and then Dennis, like I'm talking like Shane might have been like going to 120. I think he was up to 113 to 87 or 97. Yeah, it was something. I mean, it was, yeah, it might have been, uh, yeah, 114 yeah. to 91. It was pretty bad. And then, uh, and then Shane stalled and Dennis came back. And then Shane, you know, and then Shane got a little weak and Dennis made a rally. And somehow it came down to like the last couple matches and or the last couple racks and Dennis eked out the win. And, and so Dennis beat Shane the last two times they played in these races to 120. And both times Shane played great, got a lead and then got a little weak and Dennis outplayed him and then just got there right at the finish line. So here is the first time they've really played an extended set since then. Shane played good, got an extended lead, and then started getting a little weak, and Dennis started making a comeback. And I'll tell you, it's just – it's really hard. And the, and I think of all the things that stands out to me, obviously it could have gone either way. And so the two things that stand out to me is, one, I mean, how devastating would it be if for Shane to have lost again on the Hill Hill? Like, I, I – that would just I, – I shudder to think. And then, two – I'm not playing, but there are times when the pressure looks so disgustingly sick that I'm like, I don't know how I would handle that. Like, I don't even know, like, there's a lot of things I can do to get through pressure situations. But if you put me in that spot as Shane, having lost a big lead to Dennis twice, and then being in that spot where you're playing poorly and the guy's coming up and he's on the hill and he dry breaks and you just feel like, you just feel like, doomed you just you get to the table the pressure it's like it's like the grossest heaviest pressure ever have three days again come down to one rack again and you've lost these big leads again and now and now if you if you blow this it's like i don't know man and, and you're not on top of your confidence and your momentum are down and the pressure's crippling and you've got this you know man it was like the just to fathom what shane had to go through on that rack is makes me glad i'm not a professional pool player full-time so yeah <laughs> it takes a lot um, I mean, I don't, I, <laughs> yeah, we can, we can give a, we can give a shout out to the shark stream. I think they do awesome work. Unfortunately, their, their marketing just isn't very good in the U S and I mean, it's, I guess it's a, I'm sure it's not a them fault. I mean, I'm sure it's just a, they need to hit the U S market more efficiently. I, I mean, I don't know exactly what it is. It's uh but honestly, I'd never end up seeing a lot of where their stuff is, uh, until it's actually going on, which isn't necessary. You know, maybe that's a me thing. I don't know. Um, it just doesn't I, I seem know. to be in my feeds yeah. nearly as much as others. Yeah, I, I never they, see it. I never see it they, go yeah. by. But they do. Uh, they do do amazing works. Their stream is great. Their the ambiance of that room is pretty cool. Uh, they have good enough commentary. Of course, you know, anytime that you're going to be, um, I, I I think it's I think it's important that they decide to stream in English. Almost all of their stuff is in English, which is really important. I think if they're going to try to hit a world market, which they seem to want to be doing, <sighs> huge props to them. I mean, I think they're doing great work. I mean, honestly, it reminds me a lot of Roy's basement, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, 
So it's 74-74. Shane didn't try to talk him into extending to a second, an, an extra day. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> Boy. I think that there's uh, times. Not. I think that the difference was, I think, I think that, uh, I think that Shane didn't want to have to go another day, maybe. <laughs> but no, no Dennis, I, I, Dennis just... wasn't gonna. Dennis wasn't gonna do what Chang did. That's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah. Dennis was breaking on the hill. No, that wasn't gonna happen. I was just teasing. Yeah, yeah. Good. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do, um, do we want to talk about what this is gonna do for Shane coming back uh, just short of the U.S. Open? Do we? I mean, do you think that this is gonna help? You can argue it both ways. You know, it's going to help. I mean, he's played these enormous races. He's going to come in. He's not going to be racing the 74. He's not going to be racing to 120. Uh, you know, is he worn out from travel? Is he worn out from playing that many days in a row? I mean, he's 39. Whatever, you know, whatever happens at the U.S. Open, you will be able to attribute it to the Philippines one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, that's a very good point. Win or lose, that's funny, Mike. Uh, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Uh, that's the that's the best kind of prediction to make is uh, cover both ends. Uh, but uh, I think that the thing about it is is that you know in pool you've got physical and you've got mental, and you know it, I think that when it comes to the U.S. Open, you know you've got to have to Mike's point is you know set the nine in the beginning. Uh, so you've got to have a real high sense of urgency. Uh, it's not just a, it's not a marathon where you can just kind of freewheel catch gears and just you know just autopilot. I'm not saying he autopilots, but it's like you definitely it's a very very high sense of urgency at all times. Uh, and you've got to have a lot of um, you've got to have a lot of desire and a lot of to you know being ready to meet and overcome every bit of adversity. You can't just kind of be like, well, I'm just going to play my game and in the long run, I know my edge is going to hold up. It's like You've got to really want it. You've got to really be able to engage in the here and now, overcome the adversity, and do it in real time with a sense of urgency. And so uh, that's the one part. That's the mental side. Then the physical side is you have to break great, play great, and do really well. Now, I, I, I think that if Shane had always been, like, really, really mentally dialed and fighting for his life but just off his physical game, well, then I think that these types of long sets that play him at a stroke would be promising. But I don't think that's the case. I think Shane's physically always been performing really, really well. Uh, and then it's just a matter of how hungry and focused and, you know, dialed he really is. And uh, and so, you know, that's always the question with him right now is, is he going to be bringing his maximum killer or is he just going to be kind of showing up and playing sets and seeing what happens? Yeah. Sounds good to me. We had a what are what are you at? We think we're good now. Is that a good show? Good enough? Yeah, I, I think half. that's good. Good by me. Good. I appreciate everyone for tuning in. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for chatting. So, yeah, yeah. Ed, My just as James, a shout out, Greg. Yeah, just as a shout out, I am going to be on the road traveling like crazy coming up uh, next week. I will be home, but after that, I will be going to the Sandcastle Open uh, to help Ed Ladawi with his tournament. Uh, the week after that, I will be at the U.S. Open. The week after that, I will be at the Ohio Open. Uh, the week after that, I am off. And then the week after that, I will be going to – no, the week after that, I guess I'm going to the International Open, I guess. Um, and then I'm off. And then the Puerto Rico Open. And then the week after that is the Moscone Cup. So I will be at all of those events. Uh, if you are in the area there and want to come, I don't know, hang out a day, catch a drink, chat about the show, do anything you want to do, uh, hit me up uh, either on my personal page or on the podcast page.
You'll I'll, I'll see you out there. And uh, I just want to real quick, I want to apologize to Nate. Nate, I wasn't snapping. Man, if I if it sounded like I was uh, snapping at you when you'd mentioned online stuff, I was. It was... All right. So we learned a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> my, my irritation was only with <laughs> online training, not with ATAM. So I just want to explain. I wasn't. Not, sorry about that. It was it was yeah, just <laughs> my irritation was the thought of training online. Not, the, not nothing that Nate said. So I just want to clarify. I don't want. I, don't, I got I, your back, Nate. I'll take care of him for you. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll apply my God complex to Demetrius just to get you back for him. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, Demetrius. Thanks, Mike. Uh, good show today. Hopefully, everybody cool. enjoyed it. Cool. And, uh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll give a shout-out to Greg. Uh, Greg's doing a 20K added here. I'll, I'll do this. Everybody go root for Greg Hogue. I will throw yep. it up here for you, Mr. Greg. Let's see here. Where is it at? All right. This one. Everybody go on and support uh, Greg. Apparently Wednesday at 5 p.m. Yeah, yeah. 20K in the middle. That. Bar table action. Old school not nine ball on a bar table. Interesting. All right. Uh, 10 ahead. Oh, they're doing 10 ahead. That's fun. Three follow nice. roll, winter break and break. Yeah. Uh Streamed live on Facebook, open to the public. Who's who's streaming it? Whose Facebook page is it going to? Or, yeah, let us know. And, I don't know, we'll give a shout-out to Greg. Go, Greg. All right. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we will talk, uh, we will talk later. See you All next right, week. Alrighty. See you Have a kids. good day, boys.